0: I'm J.B. Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com tcom slash hypergig for details. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK, but not sure if you're a candidate? Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class. A show that demystifies history one day at a time. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today, we're tracing the roots of a holiday devoted to nature's most unlikely meteorologist, the cuddly and supposedly clairvoyant, Brownhawk. The day was February 2nd, 1887. Groundhog Day was celebrated for the first time at Gobbler's Knob in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. The unusual holiday is centered on the emergence of a groundhog, also known as a woodchuck or whistle pig, from its burrow. What the animal does next is said to predict the weather for the following six weeks. According to tradition, if the groundhog, who is always known as Phil, comes out of his hole and sees his shadow, then there will be six more weeks of winter weather. However, if he doesn't notice his shadow, that means spring will come early that year. You might be wondering how someone could tell whether a rodent has seen its own shadow or not. Well, it's usually assumed if Phil gets scared and runs back inside his burrow, but the easiest way to know for sure is to ask him directly. According to the official Punxsutawney Groundhog Club, Phil speaks a secret language called, what else, groundhog Ease. This is how he communicates whether or not he's glimpsed his shadow. From there, it's the job of the club president to translate the answer and announce it to the world. Because the traditions of Groundhog Day are so specific and so peculiar, you might assume that the people of Punxsutawney made it all up themselves. The town is certainly responsible for popularizing the holiday, and the residents have made some whimsical additions to the groundhog canon, like that special language and a few others that we'll get to later. But many elements of the celebration have much longer and broader histories. For example, consider the date, February 2nd. It's no coincidence that it falls roughly halfway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. The beginning of February is the turning point of the season, meaning that whether the groundhog sees his shadow or not, there's technically still six and a half more weeks of winter to go. Many ancient cultures place deep significance on this time of the year, The Celts, for example, viewed it as a time to observe and celebrate the coming change in weather, something they looked forward to, as it would bring the birth of new livestock and the chance to plant crops. To them, early February was the true beginning of spring. They marked the occasion with a two-day festival known as Imbolc, an old Irish term that means in the belly, and refers to the breeding cycle of sheep. That holiday was celebrated by burning lamps and lighting bonfires in tribute to Brigid, one of the most powerful Celtic gods. Hundreds of years later, Brigid was adopted into Christianity as Saint Brigid. The church then established February 1st as a feast day in her honor, as a way to replace the pagan holiday of Imbolc. But remember, Imbolc was a two-day affair. That brings us to the other Christian substitute, the holiday of Candlemas. It was originally celebrated in 4th century Greece as a feast day held on February 2nd, 40 days after Christmas. Under Jewish law, there was a 40-day purification period after childbirth. Candlemas was a way to mark the end of that period for Mary, the mother of Jesus. The main symbol of the holiday is, you guessed it, candles. This may be a holdover from the holidays tied to Imbolc, which was a fire festival, but either way, candles were used to symbolize purity and the return of light. Church clergy would bless and distribute candles on this day as a way to guard against the last cold, dark stretch of winter. The religious observation of Candlemas has nothing to do with forecasting the weather, but informally the holiday quickly became associated with predicting how the rest of the season would go. An old English folk song highlights this transition perfectly. It reads, If Candlemas be fair and bright, come, winter, have another flight. If Candlemas brings clouds and rain, go, winter, and come not again. So, for many pre-industrial societies, whether you were religious or not, and no matter what you called it, the mid-winter date of February 2nd became linked to weather forecasting. It makes sense that Europeans would find the prospect appealing. It was a good opportunity to take stock of supplies and figure out if you had enough food and firewood to last until spring. If you determined that you didn't have enough, you'd probably take any sign of an early spring that you could get. It wouldn't make your food last any longer, but at least it might give you a little peace of mind. One sign of spring that Europeans looked for was the emergence of hibernating mammals. Some Eastern European countries took their cues from bears. In France, people kept an eye out for marmots, a large ground squirrel, and a relative of the groundhog. In England, the appearance of the hedgehog was a good omen that spring would soon arrive. And in Germany, the badger became the people's herald of spring. In all of these cases, People believe that if the day was sunny and the animal saw its shadow, it meant another 40 days of winter weather. If, however, the day was cloudy and the animal couldn't see its shadow, that was a sign that spring would arrive sooner. That might sound backwards, but when you're talking about using animal shadows to predict the weather, clear-cut logic doesn't really apply. As for how the practice led to Groundhog Day, we have the Pennsylvania Dutch to thank for that. They brought many German customs to the United States, including the interpretation of sun and shadows on Candlemas, a.k.a. Badger Day. The only problem was there weren't any badgers in the eastern United States. However, there were plenty of groundhogs, and since the rodents emerged from hibernation around the same time, German immigrants started looking to them for weather predictions instead. The first recorded reference to Groundhog Day in the United States was in 1841. That's when James Morris of Morgantown, Pennsylvania, wrote the following entry in his diary. Quote, Last Tuesday, the second, was Candlemas Day, the day on which, according to the Germans, the groundhog peeps out of his winter quarters, and if he sees his shadow, he pops back for another six weeks' nap. But if the day be cloudy, he remains out. the weather is to be moderate. This somewhat isolated tradition was later adopted by much of the U.S., but the most famous and elaborate celebration is still found in Pennsylvania. In 1886, the Punxsutawney Spirit newspaper printed the first news of a Groundhog Day observance, but there was still no public consensus on whether there would be an early spring or not, for there was not one official groundhog to go by. The next year in 1887 the newspaper's editor decided to change that he organized a group of friends to form the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club and then went to a wooded area 2 miles outside of town called Gobbler's Knob in search of an official town groundhog the hunters found one and proudly proclaimed him the foremost weather predicting groundhog in the country unfortunately the little guy did see his shadow that year meaning that the townspeople would have to deal with another month and a half of winter. The town was so charmed by the newspaper's report that the event was repeated from then on, with more and more spectators turning out each year to witness the emergence firsthand. The town groundhog was first called Phil in 1961, and the name has stuck ever since. If you want to get scientific, Groundhogs go into hibernation in the late fall and then emerge from their burrows sometime in March. However, some groundhogs briefly interrupt their naps in February, either to look for a mate or to grab a snack before heading back underground for another few weeks. It's believed that whether a groundhog emerges early or not is related to the amount of body fat it was able to store before going into hibernation. Of course, all true believers know that in Phil's case, he emerges early to perform his civic duty and predict the weather. In another instance of science trying to ruin a good time, groundhogs are known to live only six to eight years. But once again, the rules don't apply to Punxsutawney Phil. Officially, there has only ever been one Phil. His long life is due to a magical groundhog punch that he's fed every summer at the annual Groundhog Picnic. He's only given one sip at a time, which allegedly extends his life by an additional seven years. Presumably, this one-sip system is in place to ensure that Phil doesn't abandon the town, lest he lose his immortality. If you're wondering who brews Phil's elixir of life, that would be the so-called inner circle of the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club. The 15 or so members also take care of Phil for the rest of the year, in addition to planning the annual ceremony, which they always attend wearing top hats and tuxedos. When Phil's not busy predicting the weather, he lives in the town library with his wife, Phyllis. Over the years, animal rights activists have objected to the yearly tradition, claiming that it puts Phil under undue stress. It's been suggested that he should be replaced with a robotic groundhog, A move that I would be okay with, if only because it would make an already strange holiday even stranger. Plus, and I don't mean to be rude, but the biological Phil isn't all that good at predicting the weather. Since 1887, his accuracy rate has been about 39%. You could probably get better results just by flipping a coin. To be fair, though, the Groundhog Club doesn't dispute this spotty track record but they also don't think Phil should bear the blame. The club's stance is that, just as Phil never dies, he's never wrong about the weather either. His handlers maintain that Phil's predictions are 100% accurate 100% of the time. As for the years when his predictions didn't pan out, well, those were due to the club president misinterpreting what Phil said. You may not like that explanation... But on Groundhog Day, it's the only one you're going to get. Because according to the club, the point of the holiday, at least as it stands today, is, quote, to take everything a little less seriously and to break up the winter monotony, at least for a little while. I'm Gabe Bluesier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.